Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. As Dr. Schwartz said last night, we truly are blessed. Uh, No matter what our situation, the fact that we're here today, we know that there's no coincidence in the life of a Christian. And so we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that you have afforded us to be here. And I pray, Lord, for myself at this moment, that you would remove me and that you would fill me with the words that you would have my colleagues, my family, my friends to hear from you. I pray that you will open their hearts, their minds, not to hear my voice, but to hear you speaking to them is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so evaluating the final impression. You know, in dentistry, one of the, I would say it's gotten easier or getting easier. One of the challenges we face is that most patients come to us, but I'm going to say 99% of them hate coming to see us. I think that if I got just a penny for every patient who has said, Doc, I hate being here. I would be a billionaire a thousand times over because it's not their favorite place to be. But with that, it presents an awesome opportunity not to take advantage of their vulnerabilities or anything, but to be able to present Christ in a unique way. And so today we're going to look at evaluating the final impression. When we're dealing with patients in, um, well, before I get to that, these are our objectives here. We want to understand as dentists that the greatest impressions are not the ones that we take, okay? They're actually the impressions that we make. We want to explore how Christ in us is attainable for each and every one of us, not just ministers, not just leaders, but each of us as children of God. I'm going to share with you um, through some of my testimonies, some of my stories, um, how Christ has worked in me and through me to have these wonderful impressions on patients. And I want to help demonstrate how practicing Christ in you daily will improve your relationship with your patients, your staff, and people around you. Um, That marketing bill that you hate to see, but you do because you need patients to come in for some of you, you would find that Uplifting Christ actually is the greatest marketing plan that you could ever have. So what is an impression? When I went to the dictionary and looked up impression, there was about a thousand and one definitions of an impression. And when you get into this digital age of technology, that even gets bigger because they use impressions on the internet now for all sorts of things and it gets complicated. But these are the three types of impressions that I'm going to really emphasize today. And I want you to keep them in your mind. The first one is the most common one, for us as dentists particularly. It's an imprint of the teeth and the adjacent portions of the jaw for our usage in healing or or treating patients. The second one is that an impression is an idea or an opinion of what something or someone is like. And for many of us as healthcare professionals, this is big for us, our image. What do we present? What do we show in our office? How do we interact with our patients? What do they think of me? Do they like me? And the last one, I think, is an impression that we don't tend to think of enough, um, but it's actually one of the most powerful ones, if not the most effective one. And that's the effect or influence on the way someone feels or think, thinks. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. 
So here's the dental impressions. You know, um, and I come at my patients with a tray in my hand or material. They're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a little bit uh, unsettling. I've got a gag reflex. I don't like this. I can't breathe, all those types of things. And then I feel like I'm in the Moz class and saying, breathe, breathe, one, two, three. But, um, you know, we get through it. And, you know, technology is great. I, I think probably in most fields, but specifically in dentistry, it could leave your head spinning. I mean, I praise the Lord for Dr. Uh, Steve because he always gives me little tips every time I come to amen. That makes my life so much easier. But, um, and I'm grateful for Amen for that fact because of the networking because we can help each other and, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, but I'm going to take us back to our dental materials class for a quick second. When it comes to dental impressions, um, there's so many different techniques. There's elastic materials, there's inelastic materials, and then even now we've got technology so we can use all sorts of different digital scanners and devices so I don't have to put that gooey stuff and use something else. And it becomes, what am I going to use? What's the best one to use? What will my patients like? Which one costs the least amount of money and works the best? Um, but ideally, we choose not because of those things or what's available, but because we want this. We want the best final result for our patient. We want them to be happy. We want them to be smiling. We want to have peace of mind. We want to ensure that when we go to seat that crown or that bridge or that implant or whatever it is, that it's going to fit, it's going to stay, and that our patient's not going to call us at 1 o'clock in the morning or come in the office when they're not scheduled and say, here's my crown, and they're holding it in their hand instead of it being in their mouth because that's not what we want. So, we spend a lot of time evaluating our impressions to make sure the margins are perfect. We get loops because as we age, and I'm finding this process more real, just this week I had to send my loops out. And I used to be excited that I could prep a tooth without using loops because I was young and I could see and it was great. And then I started using my loops and I still thought I was young and I could see and it was great until they broke and I had to send them to get fixed. And I couldn't see. And I did a lot of praying because I needed God to see because I couldn't see. And it was something that just hit me like a ton of bricks. But the point is, is that we want the best outcome with what we do with our impressions. And so we look at them, we retake them. Not that we like to, because that's more material, more time. Um, but ultimately, we want a great result. So that's the first impression that we talked about. The next one is our impressions. These are some pictures of some of the things affiliated with my office, my waiting room, um, the external building, my team, um, an advert in one of the health magazines that we have there. And this is the second impression that we talked about in our definition. Um, what do we want others to think about us? Now, many of you, I'm actually not doing it today, which my husband thought was interesting, but if you were to look at these pictures or even the slide presentation, what would you think about me? Anything. Anybody except for my family. <laughs> Anything. What impression do you get from what you see? Oh, organized, thank you. I didn't, that's wonderful. I didn't know that was in there, but that's a good one. Ooh. 
Who who said that? Did they say purple? Yes, purple. I I love purple. Everything I own is purple. My uh, Dr. Gibbons, the the dentist who I I was able to take the practice over from, I even got him wearing purple and he comes in and he's just like, I can't believe you have me in purple. But I love purple and and the things that I I have in the operatory uh, are pretty much purple because I like it. But it's funny because my patients come in and say, Doc, do you like purple? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, right down to the impression material. I said, I did not plan that, to be honest. I didn't buy it because it was purple, but um, it just happened to be purple. And then when I graduated from dental school, the color for dentistry is purple. And I didn't go into dentistry because the color was purple, but it just so happened that it was purple. And again, there's no coincidence in the life of a Christian. So I don't know, maybe God will tell me a little bit about that, his sense of humor when I get to heaven. But what do your patients see? What are the impressions that your practice, that your behavior, that your mannerisms, that your care has on them? When you looked at this picture at first, how many saw a butterfly first? I know my mom did because she loves butterflies. How many of you saw an apple first? Right? Really important point here. Everybody doesn't see the same thing, the same way, in the same order every time. But what are you impressing them by what you do, what you have, what you say? There's an eloquence. This is taken from the Ministry of Health and Healing. It says there's an eloquence far more powerful than the eloquence of words. And that has a lot to do with who we are, how we interact with our patients, how we interact with our staff in front of our patients, how we interact with our, sta- our, our, our patients' families and our staff's families. And this is just a, a picture of my office, um, just to give you a little more insight as to what it looks like. Yeah, it's a lot of purple in there, as I said. But, you know, there's, there's a reason for all of that. It's God's purpose. It's the purpose of God to glorify himself in his people before the world. He expects those who bear the name of Christ to represent him in thought, in word, and in deed. Their thoughts are to be pure and their words noble and uplifting, drawing those around them nearer to the Savior. This is a powerful passage for me because like many of you, We have staff, we have patients that even on our best days when we've woken up and we've had our devotional thought and prayer and we go in early and we pray over our office or we pray over our staff and we pray over our patients that are going to walk in the door that day that your staff member or your patient is going to do or say something that really tests whether or not you are going to have words that are noble and uplifting and that will draw even them to the Savior. But that's what God is calling for us to do. The religion of Christ is to be interwoven with all that we do, all that they do, and say they are every, they're what? Their every business transaction is to be fragrant with the presence of God. I can't tell you how many times that, my, probably could tell my dad, because I go home, he's like my sounding board outside of my husband. Um, 
I go home. If it's not about staff or about a patient, I'm in tears because something's happened and they frustrated me, but I'm more frustrated because I'm like, God, I want to do this, and you're telling me to do this. I want to fire them, and you're telling me, Kiana, how many times have I forgiven you? And it's a really humbling place to be when you're in a position when you have the power to do whatever because it's your own. And God is saying, not your will, but my will be done. But what about all of this? You know, this picture says everything. As, as members of Amen, as people who have come time and time again, we know the who, the, who, the what, the where, the when, the why. Who, us, you, me, what, were to glorify God, where, in all things, when, when we're in action, what we do, what we say, why, because this is going to fulfill God's purpose, but how, how do we do this? I remember when I was a, uh, a young girl, my dad probably doesn't remember this, but Sunday morning sometimes, um, we would come out and Occasionally, he'd be watching uh, Billy Graham on TV. And one day, I said to him, I was like, Daddy, why do you listen to that? You know, I was raised at Venice, and I was just like, he's not at Venice. Why are we listening to him? And my dad said something to me that stuck with me to this day. He probably doesn't even remember. But he said, he always tells us how. How we have that relationship with Christ. It's easy for us to say you must have a relationship with Christ. It's easy to say that we must glorify God in all we do. But how do we do that? In the middle of the day when a patient is mean and rude and ungrateful for your service. Or worse yet, they tell you that Dr. Google says this and you're saying something different. And then they tell you that clearly you're mistaken. You don't know how to respond and do what Jesus would do, right? But this is how. Christ in you. That's it. It's not you who's responding, but it's Christ in you that responds. And you know, Dr. Schwartz said it. He he brought it out um, last night. Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. In order for Christ to be in us, we have to let it happen. It's not something that we can work toward. It's not something that we can practice. It's something that we have to get out of the way, like Pastor Pepper said this morning, surrender and let God do the work. After all, he's not saying, help me live here. He's saying, let me in. So he's going to do the living in us if we let him. Our own character and our experience determine our influence upon others. In order to convince others of the power of Christ's grace, we must know its power in our own hearts and lives. The gospel that we present for the saving or healing of souls must be that gospel by which our own souls are saved and healed. Only through a living faith, and I underline living faith because It's really important for us to understand that when we come to amen and we get rejuvenated and revitalized and we surrender, that the moment that we have here 
is not a living faith on Monday morning unless we ask God afresh Monday morning to give us what we need to make it through that day. Something that is not constantly growing and moving is dead. So if our faith is the same faith that we had last year at Amen, it's not a living faith. Did you understand that? If our faith is the same faith that we had last year at Amen, it's not a living faith. It should have grown and multiplied by leaps and bounds in this past year and continue to do so that by God's grace, when we come back to Amen, God willing, in another year, we're not in the place then that we are today. So we've got to have a living faith. And it's only through that living faith in Christ as our personal Savior is it possible to make our influence felt in a very skeptical world. If we would draw sinners out of the swift current, our own feet must be firmly set upon the rock Christ Jesus. Workers can never attain the highest success. We can't be the best dentist, no matter what the material is that we use, no matter how fancy our loops are. We can't be the best surgeons, no matter how many surgeries we've accomplished. We can't be the best doctors, no matter how many positive diagnoses we've made and healing things that we've done. We can attain the highest success until we learn the secret of our strength. It's not the number of evidence-based articles that we've read, the secret of our strength lies in Jesus Christ. He's the greatest physician that ever lived. They must give themselves time to think, to pray, and to wait. And for many of us, this waiting piece is often the hardest. But we must give ourselves time to think, to pray, to wait upon God for a renewal of physical mental, and spiritual power. So how do we attain this? How do we attain Christ in us? By thinking, by praying, by waiting. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Last year I came to Amen and I had to present in the breakout session. And as I listened to the devotions, I listened to the plenary speakers, it was almost as if I was just like, man, I have nothing to say. They're saying the same thing. But you know, I believe with all my heart, that oftentimes we hear in our church, you know, this unity thing's difficult because, you know, we're all not the same. We're all different and we have different ideologies and thoughts. And I don't see it this way. I don't see it that way. But the truth of the matter is, is that when Christ is in us, Christ is the one. I've never seen anything that's the same actually go against itself. So if I'm got Christ in me and you've got Christ in me, there really shouldn't be any jarring because it's Christ that's living in me. And the beautiful thing about Christ is that he makes everything synergistic. It comes together without any work. You know, my husband used to be a, and I say used to, he used to be a a football player. He played nationally, internationally. And um, he always used to say um, when he got uh, reconverted that it doesn't take much to unify people, you know. You walk into a stadium of Liverpool fans who never know, know each other's names or anything, and they are one accord. They're like family. Like, they will fight for something, for somebody that they don't know. That's unity in like five seconds, flat, 
easy because they have the same goal, the same interest, the same belief. For me, it's very often disheartening that as a church that we're so disconnected, we're so ununified. Where is Christ in us? And that's it. We can try to have these unity meetings, unification processes, but the truth of the matter is what's lacking is Christ in me, Christ in you, Christ in one another, because Christ brings us together. So attaining Christ in us is really simple, but somehow we seem to make it complicated. God told us that we need to think, we need to pray, and we need to wait. So let's think about it. We're admonished that Seventh-day Adventist medical workers should remember that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Christ was the greatest physician that ever trod this sin-cursed earth. You know, do we really believe this as healthcare workers? Or do we believe the most recent evidence-based literature out there? Are we ready to jump on the marijuana healing wheel? Because that's the greatest new thing that's out. And science says that it's what's best. Or do we believe in the great physician? What he says. You don't have to answer me. I want you to ask yourself. Where does my faith lie? What do I believe in? Do I believe the books that I read in medical school over the God of the Bible? Do I believe what I see instead of what I say I believe? Think about it. And God has called us to think about it. The work of the physician must begin in an understanding of the works and the teachings of the great physician. Follow Christ. We must cooperate with the chief of physicians, walking in humility of mind before him. And sometimes that humility calls for us to put our patients, to put our diagnosis, to put our treatment plans before him and say, God, what do you want me to do? I loved what Amara said this morning. She said, let him loose. Loose him and let him go. And that's it. Too often, we think we have the answer. And God's the one with the answer. And he's just given us the opportunity and privilege to be the one to come to him for the answer. Because we recognize as Seventh-day Adventists, we don't need an intercessor. Christ has done that for each and every one of us. He's done it for our patients. But he's given us the privilege of being able to come on behalf of them to him and ask for how we can touch them in a real way. And so we have to think about it. And when we think about it, we can appreciate the great salvation plan that he has made for each and every one of us. When men appreciate the great salvation, the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice seen in Christ's life, they will see that in theirs. So the second thing we have to do is that we have to pray if we want to attain this Christ in us. Prayer is very important. Regular prayer gives us an unbroken hold on God so that life from him can flow into us. Then the purity and the holiness flow back from God, flow back to God from our lives. I'm sorry. This is one of my favorite prayers. Um, I can't remember where I was, but it may have been amen, actually. Um, I have a four-year-old son, and 
I was speaking with some people this morning. I, I don't see them, but I had the privilege of praying with them this morning from Wichita. Ah, there they are. And it, it was beautiful because I, I said we were talking about rearing kids and stuff like that. And people always ask my husband and I, so when's the next one coming? And I said, never. <laughs> Not because my son is a bad boy in any, he's really good. But the time that we're living in is a very hard time to be a parent. Especially if you recognize the calling on your life. I, I believe personally that that's my first work before dentistry, before my patients. I believe God's going to ask me, where's the one that I gave you? And that's a real burden for me because it's like I want to make sure that he, know, he knows who God is. And the thing is, before I can have an impression on my patients, I have to impress him. And I have to make sure that I'm impressing him in the right way and the way that I'm teaching him to know and love and respect God, but then also what he sees in me that teaches him about who God is. And so this prayer has become a daily prayer for me because I recognize I cannot be a good mom. I cannot be the best mom. I can't be any mom without God doing it through me. And so this is my prayer, and it should be our daily prayer. Lord, help me to do my best. And you know what? Even with that, it's not enough. But God promises that he will pick up the other pieces if I put my best in his hands. Teach me how to do better work. We talk about a living faith, but our work also has to be growing. It can't be the same. Give me the energy and the cheerfulness. And this is hard sometimes. Um, God had to teach me in a special way. I, <laughs> I'll put it this way, and then you'll probably have an idea, because some of you may live the same thing or have in the past. When my locum came when I was going out on maternity leave, I'll put it this way, the day before I was going in to have my cesarean to deliver my son, I was on the floor in my office fixing a dental chair so that everything could be working the next day at nine months pregnant. And so the locum came in and says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just making sure that it's fine. So that was my life prior to my son. And then 24 hours later, I sat in the hospital holding this little bundle of energy, joy, and my life changed forever because I recognized that there was something more important than work, than money, than being the best at my job, than what my colleagues or my community or the public thought about me. I recognized that this little person was going to be really the lesson that God was going to use to teach me about how much he loves me and how much he does for me, and I've been taking him for granted. And so my plan to be back to work in six weeks turned into three months, and then after three months, I was only going in half a day. Yeah, as a dentist, half a day. Uh, my staff, my accountant was pulling her hair out and telling me that I was crazy. She didn't know what I was doing, and we're going to be able to close these doors quickly if I don't hurry up and snap out of my mummyhood spell that I was in. She says, women do it every day. What's wrong with you? Let him go to school. Come back to work. And yeah, God was telling me something else, and I didn't even know who this person was who was waking up looking in the mirror because it so wasn't me. <laughs> I was just like, what happened? But three and a half Three, I'm sorry, three months, 
turned into six months, and I finally came back at three days, which I'm still at five years later, three and a half days. And so those three and a half days are crazy days because four days of the week, I believe God has called me to spend time with my son and to teach him about him. And the three days that he gave me a practice, which is a whole nother story that I so don't have time for, that Carlos told me I have to be done, so I can't talk about that. But that's another story on how I even have a practice. But I recognize that God had to give me the energy and the cheerfulness to work with my staff and patients in this really concentrated period of time so that I could do the service that he called me to do. And it's been a humbling, heartwarming, frustrating experience, but I tell you that it's a beautiful experience when you recognize that God is the driver of that car. And so I asked him to help me to bring into my service the loving ministry of the Savior. And that's truly, truly an undertaking that I can't, you can't do in and of yourself. God has to do it for us. Oops. The Lord would have his people come to him for their power of healing. He will baptize us with his Holy Spirit, and he will fit us for a service that will make us a blessing in restoring the spiritual and physical health of those who need this healing. So we've got to go to God. And once we go to him and we put our petitions before him and we lay our plans and our thoughts before him, then we have to wait. And my husband and I was sharing with college yesterday as we were catching up. We're in a holding pattern right now. <laughs> You know, I I can laugh about it today, but a few months ago I was crying about it because I didn't know what was happening. But God has a plan, and it's amazing the things that he's going to reveal to us. But there's a quote. I can never find it when I have to, so I couldn't put it in here. And last year we made a wonderful friend at the Amen Conference, and he's going through some things in his life. And I wanted to find it and share it with him, but I can't find it. But it's something that I hold fast to, and I encourage you to do the same. It's a quote that Sister White writes, and it says, When we get to heaven and God pulls back the veil and he reveals to us everything there is nothing how many things there is nothing that has happened in our life that we would ask him to do differently so when I think about that and I think about when my son was one year old and I went to the doctor and my specialty is in oral medicine I basically had to threaten the dermatologist and tell him if he didn't cut this thing off my back I was going to do it myself because I do it every day for all my other patients but it was in an area that I can't really see but if he didn't do it I was going to try he decided okay he would do it and then I went back for my follow-up and he sat me down and he said Kiana um yeah so I'm really shocked but That biopsy came back, it's cancer. And my son was one, and my mom had just battled breast cancer, and as she was battling breast cancer, she was praying and hoping and worrying and stressing that she wasn't passing genes on to us. And here it was now that I have cancer, and now I've got to go tell my parents that I've got cancer, and I've got a one-year-old, and I've got a husband, and I've got to practice. (sighs) What do I do? I wait. That's a hard place to be. It's a hard decision to do. But that's what God tells us to do. 
Do we believe that God orders our steps? So here it is. That's fast forward five years later. Praise the Lord. I'm cancer free. But two years ago, I got a phone call. Still don't know why. Cancer, me, the type of cancer that I had. I no risk factor. I went to the dermatologist's office in New York to have a procedure. So basically, at that point, I decided, no, I'm not using cream. I'm going to get it cut all out. And so I sat on this table and I said, listen, doc, you know, um, I've done some research and I don't fit any of the criteria, risk factors, categories at all for this uh, cancer. So help me understand that a little bit. And he said to me, um, I don't know. And I said, okay, that does not help me at all, but okay. (laughs) Okay. But two years ago, I got a phone call. Doc, I, I want you to, would you be willing? This is from my insurance rep now, from my plan in my office. And he says, would you be willing to do a testimonial for us? And... I said, on what? He says, well, you know, you know, the office, reimbursement, how well we do. I said, absolutely not. You want my colleagues to crucify me? I said, no way. You guys are horrible. (laughs) He says, okay, well, how about your testimony, your personal testimony? And I said, okay. And I went and I filmed this 30-second commercial for them on the wonderful care which was wonderful. That's a whole other testimony. No, Carlos, I know, no time. Um, And I will share with you the outcome of that in a couple of minutes. But we must wait. We must wait. God told the disciples, you shall receive power when? Not right away, but when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We have to cooperate with the chief of physicians. And then the Lord will bless our earnest efforts to relieve suffering humanity. So that video that I recorded and plays, my patients tell me like clockwork on Monday nights. In their living room homes, one just mentioned to me last week, Doc, you eat with us every Monday night at the dinner table. And I started laughing. But it's my testimony on how God used the insurance company to work out the circumstances in my life. And the questions that I had five years ago about God, why, why cancer, why me, why at this time with my one-year-old son, actually, they vanished because I recognized God knew that five years later, there would be commercials playing on the homes of many people that I probably never would have been able to touch before, but I got to tell them that Christ did something in me. And when they come into my office, there's a conversation that we can now have about my faith that probably never would have been able to happen before. And so when I talk to them, they ask me, Doc, can you pray for me? I know you believe in God. I had a patient two weeks ago who came in for a procedure. I'd never met this patient before in Bermuda. They asked us to do two weeks of call. Yes, free, two weeks of call. And they say it's our, our give back. So all of us gladly do it. Yes, we do. And the patients come in, and this patient came in for an emergency call, and he had an issue. I never met the patient before, but the patient sat in my chair, and I was to begin to 
do the procedure. He said, before you start, can you pray? I was like, wow. <laughs> the patients asked me to pray. But it warmed my heart because that cancer, that I had no idea why, how I even got it, because I don't fit any of the criteria for it. God saw fit to let it hit me so that I could be on a commercial five years later that could go into the house of a patient who would come into my office to have the courage to ask me to pray for them and talk to them about Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Waiting on God. The hardest thing for us to do is wait. Because we know so much. We've been taught so much. God has given us so much. What we want makes sense to us. But God tells us to wait on him. This has truly become one of my favorite hymns. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And as I put the words in here, there's another version that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So when we look at attaining Christ in us, there are only three things we really need to do. That's to think, meditate on the salvation of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, what he is doing for us, what we know he will do for us in the future. Pray, talk to him, converse with him, and then wait. Wait for him to pour out his Holy Spirit in such a way that the decisions we make are clear. We know what he's saying. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is going to work. It's not going to fail because it's not what I'm doing. I know it's what God's doing. And so I know it's going to work. All of us who accept these duties will have a rich and a varied experience. Their own hearts will glow with fervor and they will be strengthened and stimulated to be renewed, to renewed persevering efforts to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God that worketh in them both to will and to do his good pleasure. All that we are or can be belongs to God. Education, discipline, a skill in every line should be used for him. Whether the amount entrusted to us is great, we have one practice, two practices, three or four. It doesn't matter. The Lord requires that his householders give their best. And when our best isn't good enough, it doesn't matter because he is going to do with our best like he did with those, two lo- those five loaves and two fish more than we could ever think or imagine. Who thought, I thought, going to the University of Pennsylvania, getting a degree from one of the most prestigious universities in the world, having networked it with some of the top physicians and doctors, being trained with some who wrote the textbooks would make a difference. But it was cancer on my back that God took me to a place where I could be on a television set in someone's house to be able to make a difference with the patient. It wasn't me. It was God. This reward of joy that comes, sorry, it is not the amount or entrustment of the improvement made that brings to men and women the approbation of heaven, but it is the faithfulness, the loyalty to God, the loving service that is rendered that brings the divine benediction well done. Thou has been faithful over few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. 
This joy, this reward of joy doesn't wait until our entrance into the city of God. But the faithful servant can have a foretaste in this life when the patients come into our practice, when people tell us that we've touched their lives, when family members come in and they say, Doc, can you pray for me? Can you pray for my husband? I had a patient I'm running out of time, but I'm going to tell you a couple stories. I had a patient who came into my hygiene chair, and he sat, and he was in there with my hygienist, and she did her exam, and she called me in, and I looked a little further, and he had a little lesion on the side of his tongue, and he says to me, oh, it's nothing. It doesn't really bother me too too much. Sometimes it's painful. I said, well, hey, how long has it been there? And he says, well, it's been there for a little bit, um, but it's not a big deal. It doesn't really bother me. And I said to him, you know, listen, um... I really want you to come back and see me in two weeks. Don't do this, that, or the other. If it's still there, I'm going to take a biopsy of it. And we're going to see what it is. Uh, reluctantly, one of those patients who, Doc, you know I like you, but I don't like what you do. He says, okay, I'll come back. And so he comes back, and he comes into my office, and I say, okay, listen, Mr. D, I need to take an, uh, not an impression, sorry, a biopsy. I take the biopsy, and I send it off. And, of course, what my clinical instinct was telling me it was cancer. And I had to bring the patient in. His wife didn't want to come in from that day, even though I tried to tell them. When I have to bring bad news like that, I want them to bring somebody else. Because, you know, once you tell a patient it's cancer, they don't hear anything else you say. You do know that, right? So none of the instructions you give them, it doesn't matter because they haven't heard a word after you say cancer. So he came in by himself and he told me, yes, I hear everything you say. And That's it. And he walks out of my door. But I felt impressed. This isn't enough. I needed to call. So I called his wife and I said, your husband's coming home and he has some bad news. And I wanted to call and follow up with you. And I want you guys to know that I'm here for you. I'm praying for you if there's anything I can do. And his wife just started crying. You never know what's going to happen in a case like this. In head and neck cancer, usually it's very um, fast and patients can lose part of their face, et cetera, or things like that. So they didn't know what was going to happen, even if he would have life. And so I told them, I referred them on um, overseas for treatment. And about three months later, um, his wife called me and she just wanted to thank me. She said, Dr. Simmons, I'm so grateful for what you have done for us. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for calling me. Um, my husband is going into um, surgery, and they're going to resect pretty much half of his tongue in order to save his life. But I know if you hadn't called and told me, he probably wouldn't have done nothing about it. And so fast forward to about a week ago. This is probably about five years ago. Forward to a week ago, she comes in for something else that she's got going on now. And she says... Dr. Simmons, we just came back from my husband's follow-up. He's in full remission. And I just want you to know I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your prayers. I'm so grateful for that you took the time to call me. You have no idea how much this means to me and my family. And it really hit me because, you know, sometimes we think that it's, you know, in some of my colleagues, they say drill, fill, and then bill, and that's their motto. And... To some of us, we laugh and smile, but I'll be honest, when I came out of dental school, that was part of my mantra too. That's what I was going to do. But God has taught me that it's so beyond that. And when I look at the impressions that I'm making on my patient's life, and I think about my son even, what am I revealing to the people that I come in contact with? 
I have this picture. It looks similar to the one outside. <laughs> it's a little different. I had the opportunity and privilege to go to Haiti after the earthquake in 2010, and I met a young Haitian artist there, and I told him I'm a dentist, and he was just overwhelmed and excited, and he was just like, what can I do? I said, well, there's this picture, right? It's a great picture. I love it. It's great. It's fantastic. It is worth a thousand words, but the only thing is when my patients come in, it looks nothing like me. I don't look bald. I don't look a little old at that time. And so he says, don't worry, I'll do something. And it's amazing because when you look at this picture, I did not sit for the artist. But he rendered this. And my patients come in and it's hanging up in the front lobby. And they think it's me. And I tell them, I said, I had nothing to do with it. It was God who did it. But this picture sets the stage. And I was really blessed last night. I said to Pastor Finley, the little text at the bottom, I didn't even know it existed on the original painting. But I said, I want to put it because be anxious for nothing because I'm not in control. God is. And I cannot tell you the number of patients who have felt so relaxed because this hangs in my waiting room. They recognize that I submit myself to a higher power and that gives them the confidence and the comfort that they need. Of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon human beings, fellowship with Christ and his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. To you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So trust me when I tell you that there will be good times and there are great times, but there are hard times too. About four weeks ago, I treat patients who come to the island, um, you see, have cruise ships. So I see the passengers and the, uh, the crew, and they, for some reason they all like coming to Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to get it service in, in port elsewhere. And they come and say, oh, I heard all about you all the way over wherever. God is good. And they come in. But I had a patient who came in. He was really mean. And I got a call, uh, email, actually, probably a month ago that he's going through the channels. He believes I malpracticed and I treated him badly. And it really, really hurt my heart because it's like, what? I don't do this. But... I wanted you to understand that, yes, these wonderful things happen, but this suffering comes too. And what my cancer taught me and my experience taught me is that in these beautiful books, if you haven't, I got to put this in. Sorry, Carlos. I have to put this in. There, there's a, a, a Cole Porter out there with these books, the, the classic century edition for kids. It's so not for kids. It's for all of us. And I'm being serious. I really, truly am because my son listens to these things. But recently we've been listening to the section on the death of Christ in the car. And it really hit me that the greatest opportunity that we can have is to suffer like Christ. He was perfect. He did everything for everybody and he did it well and he did it right. And he didn't offend anybody. But they were offended and they were hurt. And they were angry and they killed him. So it's going to happen to us. And we're nowhere near as perfect as he is. And so I want you to understand that with Christ in you, there's going to come a hard time. But you've got to remember that it's not you. It's the Christ in you that is being persecuted. And because it's the Christ in you that is being Christ persecuted, it's the Christ in you that's going to be victorious. And you've got to hold on to that. 
When Christ called his disciples to follow him, Pastor Pappas talked about this this morning, he offered them no flattering prospects. He gave them no promise of gain or wildly honor, nor did they stipulate what they should receive. The Savior said, follow me, and they left everything. They rose up and they followed him. Today, the Savior calls to us, his workers, as he called Matthew, John, and Peter. If our hearts are touched by his love, the question of compensation will not be uttermost in our minds. We will rejoice to be a co-worker with Christ, and we shall fear not to trust his care. If we make God our strength, we shall have clear perceptions of our duties and unselfish aspirations. Our life will be actuated by a noble purpose that will raise above selfish, unworthy motives. So evaluate your final impression. Not just my dental colleagues in here, but each and every one of us. God calls upon us, his workers, in this age of diseased piety and perverted principle to reveal a healthy, influential spirituality. My brethren and sisters, this God requires of you. Every jot of your influence is to be used on the side of Christ. Follow your leader. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your example. Upon all medical missionary workers rest the responsibility of keeping in view Christ's life of unselfish service. They are to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, not like Peter, taking them off for any reason, but keeping them fixed on him, the author and finisher of their faith. He is the source of all light, the fountain of blessing. God desires us to reach the standard of perfection made possible for us by the gift of Christ. He calls upon us to make our choice on the right side, to connect with heavenly agencies, to adopt principles that will restore in us the divine image. And what is that? Christ in you. Christ in you, it's God's desire, it's God's gift, but it's your choice. Your choice, is it going to be God's way or is it going to be my way? Choose you this day. Choose you, dentists, physicians, optometrists, nurses, who you will serve For me and my house, by God's grace, we're going to choose to serve the Lord. What will your final impression be? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to encourage through my own learning that your way is always the best way. Lord, it's hard because the devil knows what you have before us. And the damage, yea, the good that we can do if just the number of people in this room today walked out of here, allowing Christ to live in us, how we could turn this world upside down. I pray in a special way, Lord, that each heart that has been under the sound of my voice, yea, your voice, including me, that we can commit afresh today, give our hearts to you, and truly allow you to live inside of us, to fulfill the purpose that you have created us to fulfill. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.